0: In spite of, Lord, our difficulties, our back sets and setbacks, we come today to pause and say you are greater than whatever problem we may be carrying. You are greater than any success we have experienced. God, you are our all and our all. And this morning we come to tell you thank you. Would you look down on this worship moment now, God, and breathe on us just one more time. Give our pastor the ability to rightly divide your word, giving preaching power, illumination. Help him to see what he can't see and then open our eyes and ears that we may both see and hear what your spirit has to say to the church. And in the end thereof, we'll be mindful, Lord, to give you all the honor and to give you all the glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said amen Amen. and amen. While you're resting on your feet, if you'll open your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 19. While you're resting on your feet, 1 Samuel chapter 19, beginning at verse 17. Somebody help me thank God for that praise team this morning. Amen. Thank you Lord. Amen. Beautiful job, family. Want to welcome our visitors who are here. So glad to have you this morning. We know that you could have been in one of over 500 churches in the Fresno metropolitan area. But by the grace of God, you are here with us and we don't take your your attendance lightly. We are an expository teaching and preaching church, and that means we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible, books and chapters at a time. Family? And this morning, our exegetical journey takes us in the book of 1 Samuel. So you are welcome to study with us. Bring your Bibles and get on the Bible bus. Amen? Amen. 1 Samuel 19, verse 17. If you have it, say, I got it, Reverend. Then I'll begin to read. Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter Mirab, and I'll give her to you as a wife. But only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So David said to Saul, who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be the son-in-law to the king? But it happened at the time when Merah, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that instead she was given to Adriel, the Maholathite, as a wife. Now Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Somebody said that's a cold father-in-law right there. <laughs> Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul then commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and say, look, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David. And David says, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law? seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man. And the servants of Saul told him, saying, In this manner David spoke. Or here, king, is what David said. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry, but a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Hmm. Now the days had not expired. Therefore, David arose and he went, he and his men, and he killed two hundred men of the Philistines and David brought back their foreskins and they gave them in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law and then Saul gave him Michael his daughter as a wife thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael Saul's daughter loved him, and Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name, became highly esteemed and all god's people said amen, amen. i want to pick up what we left off on last week the chronicles of david serving in a difficult ministry part two you may be seated Family, it's no secret that persecution and trouble is a common theme in the life of the person that's called by God to do ministry in the earth. Brother Doug, it's good to see you, son. I need you to know this morning that if you're going to follow God and serve people, you'll definitely have your share of dealing with difficulty in ministry. In our text today, we see just how evil a person can be when they're trying to get rid of somebody or trying to do somebody harm. Sister McDuff, Saul becomes daughter, a poster child for us. Of what the wicked one looks like. He's a picture of the person. Who seeks to destroy. The ministry. Of the believer. My brothers and my sisters. We can learn today from this text. That evil intentions. Are diabolical in nature. And that the child of God. Watch this now. Must be careful in a world of spiritual warfare. While they are being tempted all the time to take bribes and gifts from the enemy of their souls. Can I I paraphrase that for you? All of your ministry, Satan gonna be tempting you with things to try to destroy you. I don't care who you are. How smart you are, Cliff, How brilliant you are, Bruce. How long you've been around. He's going to tempt you all the days of your life with bribes to destroy your ministry. Y'all going to help me unpack it? Here's the background to catch you up to speed of what we learned on last week. On last week we learned that David's life was in danger because Saul thought he was trying to take the kingdom from him. Saul tried to kill him twice with a spear while being controlled by an evil spirit. Saul became jealous of David because his reputation in ministry had preceded that of the kings. And God was with David but no longer was with Saul. We learned on last week, Brother McBee, that sometimes haters will rise up when God is using you in the earth. And that the evil one doesn't care who he uses to try to destroy you. We also learned that David kept his integrity. Even while being persecuted. And that, and that this must be the focus of the believer as we too travel through life's valley. Serving God with everything that we have. Uh, if you weren't here last week, I want you to go back to the website and pull that sermon and refresh your mind. There was some great stuff in there. As we look at today's text, I want to evaluate Three critical ideas that I believe will help us as we deal with serving in a difficult ministry. Can I give them to you? Number one, I want to talk about Saul's diabolical gift. Number two, I want to deal with Saul's deceptive game. And the number three I want to close, we're looking at Saul's Davidic grace. All right, all right. I'm, I'll explain them all as I walk through. Are you in here? Saul's diabolical gift, Saul's deceptive game, uh-huh. and Saul's Davidic grace. Let's unpack the first one, Saul's diabolical gift. Brother Sean, in verse 17, we find these nuggets, 17 through 19, that then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter, Medab. I'm going to give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, here's why it's diabolical, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So David said to Saul, who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be the son-in-law to the king? Verse 19, and it happened at the time when Midab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David that instead she was given to Adriel, the Maholothite, as a wife. Let me unpack it now. When we come here, Mother Ross, to this portion of the text, we see Saul as David's enemy, offer a gift to David because of a promise he had made earlier on. In other words, in chapter 17, verse 25, Saul had promised one of his daughters to the man who would slay Goliath. Am I right? But here we discover that he changed his mind. Before he would even offer her to David, he wanted David now to do something else. To kill more Philistines. What are you saying? Here we can learn... That the enemy of your soul never keeps his promises. He will promise you some stuff, but you can guarantee he's an Indian giver. He may offer you something to satisfy your basic human need, but he will only use it to keep you in harm's way. Can I say some more? Secondly, we can learn in this text that Saul doesn't really want a victory over the Philistines. What he really wants is for David to be killed in battle. This was a diabolical lie, brother David, and a plot in what I call is two ways. Number one, it was diabolical because Saul never intended to give his daughter to David for killing Goliath. So he lied about his intentions. Can I tell you that the devil ain't going to never tell you the truth? Can I tell you that your flesh ain't going to never tell you the truth? The second reason it was diabolical is because Saul offers her now to David as a plot to see David killed in battle. What what an amazing picture God gives for us today. As he opens this up for us, the text then says, but it happened. Y'all see that right there? As it was time for Merab to be offered to David, Saul changed his mind. Took what was his. By right, because he whooped Goliath and gave her to another man. Can I unpack that? Now, here we discover an evil and a cold act of injustice committed against David. Garcia's son, what should have been his, was taken away. No reason. Injustice. What should have been his reward was given now to someone else. What was his gift by right and a word from the king was taken and given to another man. It was the king's word that, that could have, yeah, David rather, could have his daughter because of his victory. It was the king's word and his decree that whoever killed the giant would also have exemption from the king's taxes and the king's daughter. But David in the text is clearly done wrong by the king. It's diabolical. But guess what we can learn in this text? Because of his humility and his integrity, David don't fight against the injustice. Come on, look at it with me. Do we got a right? Yeah, he got a right. But something inside of him won't let him protest. Because of his humility, integrity, and integrity, David does not argue against this injustice. Because of his humility and integrity, David doesn't even question the injustice. See, in his humility, And I hope y'all hear me here. He accepts it. David says, who am I? What is my life or my father's family in Israel? That I should be son to the king. I think this is good for Americans. Because we protest about everything. The slightest injustice. We ready to fight. But if you look clearly at the biblical characters, especially those that emulate the Christ, you see humility and, and, and integrity at an all-time high, restraining them, even when they are unjustly treated. Can I say it like this? Sometimes good people got to endure evil things. Sometimes good people, Brother Preston, have to take mistreatment and not say a word. Sometimes good people have to endure wicked things, all because the enemy hates them that much. The enemy was all about trying to harm David, and Saul hated him and would not allow for him to prosper. Saul wasn't pleased with David, and as a result of that, he's not going to allow him to even marry his daughter, even though he did everything that was asked of him. Here's the application. Is there anybody here today that knows that haters are haters? And when they have a chance to do you, they're going to what? Is there anybody here today that knows enemies are enemies? And when they can be evil towards you, they will be evil towards you. I need to tell you today, Reverend Mason, that David represents the child of God living in a fallen world. And if he had to go through it, you and I got to what? We got to go through it. I need to tell you today that David had been lied to. He had been deceived. Uh He had been denied. He was rejected. His reward. But his integrity was intact. Uh Uh Can I tell you here. Can't nobody take your integrity. You got to give that away. Can't nobody take your humility. You got to lay it down. Am I making sense here? Even though David didn't get what he was promised, he didn't lose himself in the process. Even though David was hated by the king, he never lost who God called him to be. Why? Because David understood that the ministry he was in was given to him by God. He had to serve somebody who hated him. But God is the one who entrusted him With the difficulty of the ministry. Okay, all right. I see this is going to be a lecture today, y'all. Let me give you some lecturing points here. Here it is. Dealing with difficulty in the ministry comes with serving people in the earth. So don't lose yourself because your enemies are acting up. Tell your neighbor, keep your humility and keep your integrity. Point number two. So we see Saul's decept, his, uh, his diabolical gift. Let's look at his deceptive game. Verse 20. The text says, now Michael, Saul's daughter. This is the baby girl. She loved David. Y'all see that there? And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him, watch this now, that she may be a snare. That's a bad daddy. Dysfunctional daddy right there. She may be a snare to him. What that I tell you about his daughter, huh? He don't like his own kid. All right, all right, all right. Okay, keep on. That she may be a snare to him. Watch this now. And that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you're going to be my son-in-law today. I'm not going to let you marry Midab, but I'm going to give Michael to you. And then Saul says in verse 22, watch this, he commanded, somebody say he ordered him, Lord. his servants to come. And he said, communicate with David secretly and say, look, he given them talking points. The king has delight in you. And all his servants love you. So become the king's son-in-law. So the servants, they went to David, and they did what the king ordered them to do. And David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be the king's son-in-law? Seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man. And the servants of Saul told him, saying, in this manner, here's what David said. Verse 25. And then Saul said to them, Go tell David, the king does not desire any dowry, but 100 foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemy. Y'all know what foreskins is? Okay, I ain't got to make a health class right here. All right. And I'm glad about it right there. Verse 25, but Saul thought to make David fall. You see that? 25 verse B, Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So when his servants told David these things, this is what arrested me. Verse 26, part P, it pleased David to become the king's son-in-law. Let me unpack it, all right? Notice this. When we come to this portion, Brother Branch, I'm arrested, first of all, at the tenacity of Saul. Not only is he a liar, a manipulator, a hater, a deceiver, but he won't quit trying to set David up. Boy, I tell somebody, that's just like the devil. He don't stop. Here we see him game David into a position of submission. Let me explain. He uses his daughter's affection for David to bait him into going into war for him. In verse 21, he wants Michael, his own daughter, To be a snare to David. That the hand of the Philistines. May be against him. That he may die in war. Secondly. He uses his king's power or authority. His servants of the court. In verse 22. To lie to David. Why? Because he knows that David is in close relationship. With the servants of the court. Why? He's one of them. Okay, okay. Can I say some more? Thirdly, he suggests that David, you don't have to give me any money to marry my daughter. Just give me a hundred foreskins, son. And we'll call it straight. Can I tell you, Saul is wicked? Saul is evil. Saul is a hustler. Saul is a murderer. And he'll do anything and use anybody to see David killed in the battle and his ministry ended. Oh, I hope you just caught that. Look, he's so ruthless, his baby girl now is going to be his snare. What do you mean? Well, the word snare in the Hebrew literally implies a trap, right, used to entangle someone to death. So because David's flesh wants to be married, Saul's going to use his own flesh to try to end his ministry. Can I say some more? Can I tell somebody, Mason, that the child of God must be careful about the things you're willing to fight for. The child of God must be careful that we're not being gamed into snares that will end up causing you heartache and suffering. You want that thing so bad you don't see that it's being dangled before your eyes as something good when it's really something to take you out. Can I tell somebody today that the child of God must be careful, Sister Wilson, from the invites of the enemy to do something to have your flesh appeased. We must be careful, Reverend Kabuya, that we don't take our cues from the souls of this world in order to have what belongs to them and to be accepted into their families. Some of us work in places where we want to be accepted so bad that we'll do what the boss wants us to do for the promotion. Never recognizing that ain't what God has necessarily called you there to do. Can I say some more? Well, let me start with a question. Is there anybody here this morning that's ever been gamed into doing something? Yeah. The enemy wants you to do. The enemy knows you have a longing for a relationship. He knows you have a longing for Affirmation. A longing for financial stability? So he will dangle things in front of you the whole time hoping to destroy you behind those things. That's why you must wait on your promotion from God. I'm getting ahead of myself in the text, but I'm going to ask the question here in a little bit. What the heck was David thinking about? The same man that offers him this woman just tried to kill him yesterday. What makes you think he changed in 24 hours? He just got through trying to kill you. Now he trying to gift you something? The whole time the text says Saul thought to make David fall by the Philistines. This was a diabolical track. It was the work of a mastermind. And guess what? David didn't even know it. Can I say some more? This was the work, uh, sisters, brothers and sisters, of an evil thinker. But David didn't have eyes to see. Saul was trying to hurt him. Can I tell you why? Huh? Because his flesh was all about pleasing David. Can I tell you, your flesh will blind you. Flesh will take eyesight from you. Your overwhelming compulsion will sometimes cloud your judgment. I ain't telling you what I heard either. I'm telling you what I know. Look, look. And it clouds his judgment, Brother Darian, while he's still in ministry. What do you mean? Dresha, he was still in ministry to the king. The king demoted him last week. Y'all remember that? Tried to kill him twice. But he still had a ministry to play the harp whenever the evil spirit came on him. He still was the captain of 1,000 men in the king's army. So he was still assigned to the ministry. And now that same enemy that tries to kill him coming now tries to offer him something. Only that he might kill him if he accept the offering. But David can't see because his mind is clouded by the desires of his flesh. Oh, let me put my weight on it, please. Can I tell you, his desires weren't bad. He wasn't asking for something evil. He wanted companionship. But he was getting it from the wrong source. Can I preach against match.com right here? Can I preach against a relationship at the club? Ain't nothing wrong with your desire. It's the source. If you don't meet them at the house of God, if you don't meet them in ministry, I bet you God didn't send them. Maybe it was your Saul. What I want you to know. Saul, Saul, yeah. David's own desire for comfort in the flesh, jazz, it keeps him, daughter, from seeing the diabolical nature of Saul. Some of us are guilty, I'm one, of seeing only the good in people. That's why I'm always getting whooped and hurt and disappointed and talked about because I trusted him. Even when somebody else told me, "Uh uh-uh, don't you, Wilson, I wouldn't. The word is on your pastor at town, he'll help anybody. And I got burn marks to tell you. Here's what I want to tell you. Don't be like your pastor in that area. If the enemy tries to destroy you. Don't go back thinking you can trust him tomorrow. He all of a sudden has been changed. Are y'all in here? Can I pastor for a minute? Daughter if he's going upside your head tonight. And wake up in the morning talking about I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. You better keep it moving. Brothers, if she break out all the windows in your car tonight, and tomorrow write you a note talking about I'm sorry, keep it moving. My grandmama would say conversions is fast, but they ain't that fast. Why? The diabolical nature of the one who tries to destroy you usually doesn't change from the first modus uh, miranda. If they're trying to kill you yesterday, they're probably still trying to kill you today. If they're trying to hurt you on the job yesterday, they're probably still trying to hurt you today. Am I making sense here? Interesting things in this text is that Saul's reckon Saul recognizes David has a propensity to be led by his flesh. So he offers flesh for flesh. Wow. That's just like Satan. He know you human. You have a human nature. Right? You're a sexual creatures. You are human beings. God created intimacy for you to enjoy. He know that. He's not ignorant. So he knows how to destroy your enemy. Give her what she likes. Amen. Look at what he offers. He said, David, you want this? You will killer?" You're a famous warrior. They're singing your song. Remember that last week? Give me a hundred foreskins from my enemy. And take your prize, my daughter. What's scary for me and kept me awake this week is this craving and desire that, that David has. Again, let me repeat myself. Blinded him from seeing the workings of his enemy who came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We can learn several critical things from this passage. Number one, that the child of God in spiritual warfare must be aware of their own fleshly desires and where they may lead them or deceive them. Can I say that again? Guys, guys, look at me. Don't ignore the cries of your flesh while you are in the spiritual fight for your life. The child of God must be aware of the enemy's temptations and his offers in the seasons of deception. You, You are in the warfare of your life. Spiritual warfare always calls for deception to come your way from the enemy. He ain't just going to let you see him coming. It's warfare. So you have to be always mindful that deception is what he uses. Because he's looking for the advantage. Can I talk to you to try to hurt you? The child of God must be aware, brothers and sisters, yeah, when Saul is being too friendly after a season of assassination attempts. The child of God must keep their desires under control when the enemy is the one making them offers that appeal to the flesh. I noticed that whenever. I'm under attack from the enemy. Here's how you can pray for your pastor. Whenever I'm under attack from the enemy for being your pastor, Satan always tempt me with leaving. Yeah. 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 He'll offer me a bigger church, uh-huh. thousands of members, uh-huh. big salaries, uh-huh. major cities, lights, glimmer, and all that. Why? He ain't gonna never offer you Nothing that doesn't look good. And that's how I begin to know when the offer is from God or when it's from devil. God's offerings always entail struggle and suffering. When he calls you to do something, there's work involved in it, it. Ain't no glimmer. Ain't no light success it's going to call for you to die to yourself but when Satan offers you something it's smooth I'm trying to help you here he always wants you to believe the grass is green I'm trying to help that mad husband or wife who's thinking about leaving you better count the cost She may look good now. He may look good now. But let me tell you, the devil only offer what he wants to kill you. Am I making sense here? David can't see it. But Saul's trying to kill him. Notice this. This ain't in my notes. I'm getting off script for a minute. But he offers David something that he know David can do. He just whooped Goliath. He know David is a warrior and the Philistines are afraid of his name. It ain't nothing for David to go over in the Philister and to take 104 skins, piece of cake. But David can't see that Saul's trying to destroy him. Why? He's blinded by his flesh. But thanks be to God, he got some help with him. The spirit of the living God is on him, and he's going to walk with him through this next battle. I'm closing out point number two, but let me give you this lecture notes. these lecture notes. Dealing with games and snares of the enemy, y'all hear me? Yeah. It's going to come to you when you are ministering to people. Yeah. Here it is, here it is, Pastor Bruce. So don't trust your flesh in moments of temptation and compromise. As long as you're serving people. Satan's going to come at you with games and with snares through moments of temptation. But don't compromise. Look at, look at your neighbor. Tell him, don't compromise. Don't, don't compromise. Well, we've looked at Saul's diabolical gift, we've examined Saul's deceptive game let me wrestle with Saul's Davidic grace Saul's Davidic grace this is a new term you heard it fresh right here I don't know how that's going to come out but I know what he told me I know y'all ain't never heard that term Davidic grace he making up words yep Because I got some Bible for my theology. Notice what he says in verse 26. Now the days had not expired. And therefore David arose and went. He and his men and he killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought. You see that right there? Their foreskins. The The text says the days had not expired. David got so happy he went to war right away. You'll catch that on the way home. <laughs> and he brought the foreskins after the murder, brother Sean, of these two hundred men, and they gave them in full count. Can y'all imagine? They start counting one. Yeah. Tell somebody the Bible. Tell somebody the Bible's a bloody book. Amen. <laughs> one, one Philistine, two Philistines, three. Phil- Y'all in here now? Y'all get the picture, all right. (laughs) All right, somebody say, yeah, pastor, we got it, we got it. (laughs) They counted him to the king. Why? That David might be the king's son-in-law. And then Saul gave Michael to David as his wife, 28. And thus Saul saw, and he knew that the Lord was with David. And that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became his enemy. Look at this. Continually. Y'all see that? Okay, let me unpack it. When we come to this portion of the text, we get to see that David wasted no time going into battle again. In other words, sister Tate, daughter, he moved with an urgency to get what Saul had requested of him. He didn't only kill 100, but he killed 200. Why? Because David wanted Michael's hand in marriage that bad. That rascal was on fire for somebody. Amen. (laughs) David also wanted to be the king's son-in-law. I'm not trying to be no son-in-law to a man who want to kill me. Okay, he did so because why? Why? Why did he do that, Angelus? Because Saul's servants, don't forget this, encouraged him. He trusted them; they were his friends. But he had no idea that his friends was in cahoots with the enemy. king asked for foreskins of his enemies. And David, being poor, didn't have the money for a dowry, so he used his ability and his skills in war to simply satisfy the payment for Michael's hand in marriage. David knew he could do what was asked of him, so he brought back more than enough. Why? To show and to illustrate that he was more than willing to marry More than willing to serve. And more than willing to be a part of the king's family. Here's a holy observation for you. This was a display of grace for an evil man. Can I unpack it? He tried to kill David. Didn't he do it? He didn't keep his covenant commitment. He asked. He asked him to put his life on the line to marry his daughter, and that was unethical to do. He made his servants lie to David, and then he goes up and above duty to prove himself to an evil man like Saul. That's grace. What do you mean? It's a picture of Davidic grace, David showing Saul unmerited favor. Okay, okay, I'm gonna argue some more. This wasn't what Saul wanted. Saul wanted him to be killed, but it backfired on him. See, David in this text illustrate for me, illustrates for me what true grace looks like. Uh, Saul tried to kill him twice, and David forgave him and still served him. That's grace. Saul lied to him about marrying his first daughter and gave her to someone else. David forgave him and still served him. That's grace. Uh, In order to marry his daughter, he asked David to put his life on the line to avenge the king of his enemies. David did it to protect the king. And even after that, he tried to kill him with a spear. That's grace. Now, the cold thing is, the Bible is silent to me. I don't know how, or I'm not aware of, rather, how David, Reverend Tate, has this kind of grace for his enemy like Saul does, because I ain't there yet. I don't know why y'all looking at me funny. A whole lot of y'all ain't there yet either. That's why I call it Davidic grace. It's David's grace for Saul, yeah. Y'all in a minute? Okay, all right, all right, all right. But I believe something, that God uses this. Watch this now. To reveal to Saul that once again, his spirit is with David. God uses this to reveal to Saul that David is God's man. God uses this picture for me to show me. Watch this. How gracious God is to us when we ask Him to prove Himself to us. You are Saul. Yeah, you are. So me? Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. God, God. God has grace when we challenge him to work for us. After you try to wipe him out of every area in your life. God has grace when we lie to him. When we try to deceive him. When we mistreat him. When we cheat on him. When we bargain with him. God has grace. And still deals with your enemies. God has grace, Brother Greer, on you and I when we try to remove him from our life, our world, our relationships, our minds, our hearts, our businesses. God has grace on us when we act like Saul and behave foolishly. Unmerited favor. David could have killed Saul anytime he wanted to. But grace. That's why he becomes a picture of Christ in the Old Testament for us. This text is amazing because it almost makes me schizophrenic. Sometime I'm looking like David and sometime I'm acting like Saul. But tell your neighbor, I'm all in here. See why it's important to walk through the text? Yeah. Here's my observation, and I'm almost through, I'm almost through. I've learned something else in this text: that God wants me to be more like David than He does Saul. That's worth you coming today. He wants me to be more like David in my ministry. Huh? Y'all in here? I told you on last week you got a ministry, right? And you got a choice, you can be like Saul in your ministry, or you can be like David in your ministry. When the child of God is filled with grace, even for his enemies, Brother Hayward, God has a way of elevating him in the presence of his enemies. Did y'all catch that? Because David was gracious, God gave him grace. David was gracious in a hostile setting. So God gave him victory in his battles. Though David was willing to lay his life down for Michael, his bride, he was given grace to defeat the Philistines in the time of need. Why? Because he was willing To lay his life down, you know, you know, you don't receive the special grace to get through trials and tribulations until you first become a living sacrifice. Some of us want grace kabuya without being willing to die for it. I'm working, y'all. Y'all, this side ain't said nothing yet over here. Amen. That's my introspective side over there. Amen. Amen. In other words, in other words, I learned this here, brothers and sisters. God gave him grace. I said this earlier, but let me say it again. Because he was gracious. And watch this. Saul couldn't defeat him because of the grace of God on his life. Now that's worth you shouting right there. Devil can't do nothing to you when grace is covering you. Because God's grace was on him, God's grace was also in him. Y'all see that right there? Oh, can I say that again? Because God's grace was on him, God's grace was also in him. And Saul couldn't defeat David because Saul can't defeat grace. That's worth you shouting right there. Y'all missed it. That's the time where everybody ought to run around. Is there anybody here today that knows showing grace to your enemy is an act of power on display? Is there anybody here today that knows grace can make your enemy behave? Yeah. Yeah. You ain't got to fight with nobody. Just grace in the death. Yeah. Is there anybody now here that knows killing somebody with kindness will always make them behave? there anybody here that knows grace is unmerited favor? That's a favor that's second to none. The grace that David had on his life made Saul afraid. Y'all didn't know that, did you? Grace will make your enemies scared of you, even why they can't stand you. They can't stand you, but they know you can't touch this. Here's another observation. Can I give it to you? Reverend Tate, I found this and I hope it blesses you, son. You would think that because of the grace that was upon David and the constant failure of Saul's attempts to kill him, that he would have gave up and stopped trying to hurt God's man. He missed twice. He sent him to war. Sent his friends to lie to him. Tried to snare him to death with his baby girl. you can't kill God's man but it doesn't it don't stop him you know what it does it makes him afraid of David but in his own fear of his son-in-law he gets evil continuously he became a continual enemy See, the devil is just like Saul. And what a tragedy. What a disgrace. What a shame. He can't win, but he won't stop. He can't get ahead, but he won't stop hating. He can't get him killed, and he can't get people to hate him, but he won't retreat from trying. He sets him up, but David won't fall. He lies to him, but his integrity and humility prevails. God is with David, and his grace brings him through. Even when he doesn't know what's happening, God keeps him covered and serves him in a difficult ministry. I don't know what to say to impress y'all no more. I gave you everything. everything. I'm on my way down now. Here's your lecture points. Showing your enemies grace comes with the ministry of serving people. So, So let God use you in dealing with the souls of your life. In my close, the text lands the plane for us when it says in verse 39 that then, after David killed 200 more of their soldiers, then the princes, the kings of Philistia, of the Philistines, they went out to war. They mad now, and they coming against. Israel and so it was that's a beautiful passage whenever they went out y'all see that that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name hey tell somebody you ought to have a good name his name became highly Esteem. Can I tell you, it's one thing for them to know you in church, but it's another thing for them to know you in hell. Y'all catch that? I'm glad y'all know me in here, but I'd rather be known in hell for being one who's highly esteemed because what God is doing in his life. Saul couldn't touch him, and the other enemies couldn't touch him because grace had him highly esteemed. Okay, let me get out of here. Y'all through. I'm through. Okay. As we close and land the plane, we see that the season of war was still in David's life. He whooped Goliath, their champion. He just took out 200 more of their leading fighters. And now they're going back into war again. It's a picture for us to remind us that your spiritual battle ain't over yet. It's not time for your holiday. Are you in here now? Some of y'all ain't been in a skirmish in the while Because you thought the battle was over. I stopped by to tell you that you're still fighting even though your enemy is defeated. Why was David highly esteemed? Because he handled his assignments. You catch that right there? Why was he highly esteemed? He worked with integrity. Why was he highly esteemed? He didn't get over familiar With his enemies. Why was he highly esteemed? He was a soldier who stayed in his lane. Why was he highly esteemed? He kept himself in check. And as a result, he was able to get victories in the battle. Can I argue for a good life as a soldier? If you don't keep your flesh in check you're going to lose some battles. If you get out of your lane and what God is calling you to do, you're going to be fighting in unfamiliar territory. And you're going to lose some stuff. If you decide, yes, you're not going to work with integrity. The first time you get out of an integrous life, your ministry will crash. Can I tell you, I don't care how much money you got. If you ain't got no integrity, ain't no ministry following you. If you lose your integrity, you lost your influence. Huh? Huh? And if you lose your influence, you lose your power. If you lose your power, you lose your authority. And if you look behind you, ain't nobody following you. I'm trying to preach in here. I I promise you I'm trying to preach. David was able to behave himself wisely. And because he behaved himself wisely, he had a ministry that was second to none. I got to leave you now, but I want you to know what the text says, that the people loved him. They loved his coming in and his going out because he had a good reputation. In other words, nobody could find dirt on David. He had him a wife now. He didn't have to have everybody else's wife. Am I in here now? Because he was a wise servant, he was looked up to, even by his enemies. All I'm trying to tell you is that serving in a difficult ministry is hard. But when grace is on display in your life, it'll carry you through difficult situations. Can I say some more? story is told by Jonathan Edwards, that great preacher of yesterday, says that Jonathan Edwards had a daughter who had an ungodly temper. And one day, a worthy young man comes to her, fell in love with her, wanted to marry her, went to the preacher and said, Pastor. Can I have your daughter's wife in marriage? Pastor Johnson told her no, told him no. You can't have her to be your wife. Young man scratched his head and said, but sir, pastor, I love her. Pastor said, I said, no, you can't have her to be your wife. The young man said, but she loves me too, and we want to get married. And Edward said again, no. I said, you can't have her hand. And the young man said, well, why, pastor? Why can't I marry your daughter? And the pastor said, because she's not worthy of you. And he said, "Uh, she's a Christian, and I'm a Christian. What do you mean? But Pastor Jonathan said, yeah, she's a believer, but the grace of God can live with some people who nobody else can ever live with. And that's what reminds me in the text today. See, only David had a grace to live with Saul. Only David could deal with a Saul. I didn't have a grace to live with Saul. Only David could deal with that kind of crazy father-in-law. But I got a grace to deal with the Sauls in my life. You don't have a grace to deal with the souls in my life, but you get a grace to deal with the souls in your life. Can I say some more? Every one of us got a soul, Sister Garcia, that we gotta deal with in ministry. And God gives you a special grace. Somebody say, special grace to pardon their behavior. He gives you a special grace to cover them and to serve them and to love them in spite of their wicked behavior. The grace of God can live with some people that other people can't live with. Can I I give you some Bible for my theology? Jesus had a grace to deal with Judas that I don't have. Jesus had a grace to deal with Pharisees That I didn't have Jesus had a grace To deal with Pilate's decision That I don't have When you and I Don't have a grace To deal with it God probably haven't called you to ministry To live in it But the grace of God Will take you Where he leads you And he'll give you a grace to deal with the trouble for the ministry that's upon you I got to leave you now but can you come go with me outside of the city called Jerusalem can you look with me real good and see your savior with a special grace to deal with people who are spitting in his face throwing rocks with him yelling crucify him when he just fed him Two fish and five loaves of bread. Special grace. Can you see that Savior? Just turn water into wine. Just open their eyes. Just cast devils out of their life. And then they turned on him in the heat of the battle. That's a special grace. Can you see him now? On his way up the pond de la Rocha, with a cross on his shoulders. He got a special grace. To fulfill the ministry that the Father has placed on him. When I look at Jesus and I look at him in his man in his humanity, I see he doesn't have physical strength, but he's got a spiritual strength to deal with the ministry that God had called him to. What was his ministry? To reconcile man and God back together in holy matrimony. That was a special grace. Can't you see grace moving him through the crowd? It's grace, I tell you, allowing him to go places that only grace could take him. It's grace, I tell you, that allows him to let puny man nail his body to the tree outside of Jerusalem. It's grace, I tell you, to allow man to put a crown of thorns on his hand. To crucify the king of glory. And that grace. God only gave him to do. Because only one man. Could handle that assignment. Moses came. But he couldn't do what Jesus did. Zachariah came. But couldn't do what Jesus did. Only Jesus. Had the grace. To redeem a fallen world. And I'm glad today. For that grace that fell on the Messiah, I'm glad today. For that grace that helped my Lord redeem my life, I'm glad today. For that grace that carried him on the old rugged cross, I'm glad today. For the grace that gave him power. To die in my place. I'm glad today for the grace that took my part in the redemption process. I'm glad today that grace died that I might live, died that I might have eternal life. Are you glad for that grace? I'm glad that graves came down into a borrowed tomb. I'm glad today that graves got up early Sunday morning with all power, all power, all power on heaven and earth in his hand that grace that same grace, descended back to the right hand of the father and on the right hand of god the same grace sent down power to help me in my ministry the same grace sent power to walk right power to talk right (laughs) mandated <laughs> <laughs> live right. is grace. I know it's grace that caught my fallen soul. I know it's grace that wakes me up in the morning and lays me down at night. It's grace that keeps me in motion. Grace that keeps me upright. Grace that saves me and keeps me Grace, Grace sustains the universe. Grace tells the oceans, hold your boundaries. Grace puts stripes on the zebra, the trunk on the giraffe, the lungs and the chichi bird, the wings and the hawk. Grace! Put the roar in the lion. Put the words in the Bible. Gave me peace. 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 To calm my troubling soul. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found. Was blind. Was blind but now I see Can I hear a shout for grace Is grace Amazing grace Is there anybody here Nor if it wasn't for grace You'd be lost in the burning hell Is there anybody here A recipient of grace If you a grace recipient Won't you wave your hand mm. If you a grace recipient Simeon, won't you shout amen? Shout amen! Shout amen! Won't you shake a hand and tell them I got grace! I got grace! I got grace! Hallelujah! 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 I wasn't saved by works! I was saved by grace! Hey, Sister Wilson, y'all, she got to have grace from me. Because it's her ministry. I want to remind you about your ministry. Quit misbehaving in your ministry. And show everybody you can some grace. Won't you shake somebody's hand. Tell them I'm going to quit misbehaving. And I'm going to show everybody grace. Show everybody grace. Oh, I said, ah.